because it also helps us identify that is our relationship with him. I mean, I'm committed to our union, to our oneness, yeah. despite the circumstances of our lives. Ooh, there is no perfect relationship. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Midweek Podcast, a podcast about everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family because of Jesus for generations to come. My name's John. I'm the engagement pastor here. And across from me is Kyle Davies. You know what pastor. it is. There it is. It's back. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You, your Woo! flat bill, the constant interruptions, you know. Doing what I can. I know. It's you. I'm, yes. I'm glad to see you're feeling. Yes. You're feeling like you today. Got some energy flowing in me today. You don't have any, like, Black Rock fuel with you? No. I have nope. a cold brew that's gone within an hour, but it's all mm -hmm. right. No drinks, no hype, all Kyle. Just you. Oh, my gosh. Well, Kyle, this weekend, <laughs> uh, you talked about a topic that's kind of interesting and sometimes can be controversial, can kind of be taken in certain different mm. ways and honestly is skewed by our culture a lot. And we talked this weekend, yeah. Colossians 3, 18 through 19, yeah. about husbands and wives. Yeah. That's a that's a fun passage to be talking about, especially – um, in our day and age in which we do see how mar we're going to get into this, how marriage of what we see in scripture and what we see in our world sometimes isn't fully aligned. So Kyle, yeah. let's just start right at the beginning. What is marriage? Yeah, that's a good question. And because we define this in different ways, and let me just throw out a couple different definitions. One definition of marriage is the emotional and legal commitment of two people to share emotional, physical intimacy, various tasks, and economic resources. Mm. And so that is one, a broad definition, covers a lot of different aspects of one relationships and marriage, but there's one glaring piece missing within that definition. Okay. It does not account for the spiritual. And the mm. picture of biblical marriage is always oneness. It's this covenantal commitment to each other. It's this oath, this agreement to mm. say, I will I will have this commitment to you for better or for worse. Sometimes yeah. that we, we hear it, <laughs> we, people saying about, you know, in sickness and health, the things that, that people say in their vows yeah. during the marriage ceremony that says, this is how I will act in many ways, no matter how you respond or treat me, I'm committed to our union, to our oneness, yeah. despite the circumstances of our lives. Yeah. And primarily, you're making that not just with the other person, but also with God in a Christian marriage. Yes. And so there's an agreement, not just with the other person, but yeah. with God. And I think as we look at marriage and defining marriage, if we are going to rightly understand that God is the creator of the universe and, and we, we should be obedient to God's design, yeah. and as Paul has laid out in Colossians, we should live as the type of human that we will become, which is are the type of humans that, that follow Jesus, that express new humanity, mm. which means that in different relationships within our life, we will express a certain love and commitment as we will have fully expressed in eternity with God, with Jesus, and that can be best expressed. The type of love and commitment that the church mm. is supposed to have must also be displayed within a marriage. Yeah. And so, John, I know that we look at marriage 
in this way. I tried to define it as both oneness, there's a spiritual component, but there's also that emotional and legal commitment. Yeah. There's that physical intimacy, there's shared tasks and economic yeah. resources. There's tax benefits. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say in our in our culture, there there, there yeah. there's there's tax benefits. So for those people who are part of our church and who might be watch, watching that aren't married. Mm. Why would a conversation on marriage be both useful for them and also just good information? You know, yeah. how, how does that help help them navigate marriage for, for people who, who aspire to get married, for people yeah. who are, you know, their, their marriage has ended, they're on the other, mm-hmm. whether it's widowed or divorced or for someone who might never be married yeah why does teaching and a conversation on marriage help those who who aren't married yeah i think one of the main things to to take into account with this is that marriage is often used throughout scripture as a symbol of jesus in his relationship to the church Mm. god's relationship in us and often we see that as a covenantal relationship Okay. Uh, which often gets illustrated through marriage. You hear okay. uh, the bride and bridegroom in some of that illustration. I think that's good for us to understand and look into Scripture, into what a healthy and um, spiritual relationship marriage is supposed to look like, what mm. God calls us to in that, because it also helps us identify that is our relationship with Him. Okay. And so when we look at uh, worldly relationships, we have to, one, identify that there is no perfect marriage on earth. Yeah. There is no husband and wife that have everything figured out, mm. walking in perfect unity. And so when we see that illustration in scripture, we aren't to look at um, the relationships in our world and say, oh, that's that's how God in the church interact, or that's how Jesus mm. and us interact. No, like Jesus and his relationship to us, like he is the perfect bride along with us like mm. that that relationship from his end is like perfect pure he fulfills his promises that he makes to us and so for mm. us to identify what a healthy marriage between a man and wife is to look like yeah i think that is one uh, good thing for us even those of us who um well not myself anymore because i just got married a couple months ago i keep having to change that language um because it's still well i think that's do. a good that's yeah. a good a point to point out is there's a there's a learning curve associated with the relationship (laughs) and so that just just to to pause there for a second john what what has been some of the learning curve ruth and i we've we've been married uh seven years going on eight years we've got we've got three kids but you and hannah freshly married what was what's been some of that learning curve and (laughs) and how how does that translate again to people who aren't married and their one interaction with God and their interaction with the church. Man, I I think one of the biggest things you learn is patience. Okay. Um, and I say that because when you are married, you finally live together all the time, mm. which means you go to bed, you wake up together, you eat meals, you uh, relax together. Like, you are in a house 24-7 together. Especially in this season. Oh, yeah, especially in this season. Like, there was two weeks in which Hannah didn't work, and we were 
in the house together all the time and I'm still trying to do work and like we're in a smaller apartment so like I'm sitting here working at a dining table and she's like on the couch and like Mm. we're trying to like how do you have a healthy like work ethic of life and Mm. continuing to do stuff even for us it's how do we process stuff like me and Hannah have very different personalities Mm. for those of you who know us you will begin to realize we are almost the exact opposite on everything how we process how we interact with others the way like just everything in which we do and internally how we Mm -hmm. do stuff is different i'm an external processor to a thousandth degree i love to sit there and go okay like i just took in this information let me talk about it with somebody okay and hannah is not that in uh every bit and that's nothing against her. The way in which she takes in information and works through stuff is she has to internally work through it herself. Okay. She has to ask herself questions and kind of sit and meditate on it mm. for a while. Mm. And she can't give me an answer immediately. And it's not uh, anything against like how she does it. It's how she processes. Mm. And it's a good thing. Sometimes I need to be a little bit more of that even in myself. And so it's understanding that in herself and that I can't set – uh, unfair expectations on her. Hmm. I can't expect her to process something with me immediately. When we watch a TV show, we've been watching Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah! We, to, we just finished last night, and it's a little bit uh, heart-wrenching because it's like, oh, it's over. But even for us... I finished it a couple of weeks ago, you, man. Dude, we just we watched it in about two, three weeks. It was fantastic. It was a good thing for us to do. But uh, it's even like, we'll finish an episode. And I'm like, oh, Hannah, what'd you think about this? And she's like, She's like, I can't talk about it like right now. She goes, I got to think about it and mm. chew on it. And so even little things like that, like I can't poke her because I want to sit there and talk about the episode. What's going to happen? What's your theory and stuff? And that's not yeah. her. Yeah. And I have to understand that and not push her to some of that because then it might lead her to some frustration or like anxiety because she feels like she has to say something because I'm setting an unfair expectation on her. Mm. Even in how we interact and do – like you talked about different tasks around the house. Yeah. Like – for us, I can't expect her to do everything. One, that's unfair because she works. She mm. works as well along with me. And so, like, we both, like, work full-time jobs. We do stuff. And so, for us, like, doing stuff around the house is a shared task. Mm. She very much enjoys doing laundry. I hate folding laundry. I'll put stuff in the washer, and she lovingly uh, is like, I don't mind to fold. And I'm like, oh, thank you. But she hates to do the dishes. So, I'll do the dishes, load mm. the dishwasher, hand wash things. And so, like... You have to find the balance of, like, where where can we act and conquer this together? Mm. Like, doing life together means we are doing things in yeah. shared community. I'm going to take her strengths and push her to do it, but where she has weakness and I have strength, I'm going to pick up the slack there. Mm. So I think that, that translates in a couple ways to the church for those who mm. – who, who aren't married or in aspire to be or are or, or, or single and co- are coming off of off of a marriage is I, I hear you talk about shared responsibility. Yeah. I, I hear you talk about boundaries that were once like at arm's length have yeah. now been reduced because there, there's greater intimacy. Yeah. And there's a constant reevaluation of bo- both those boundaries and the, yeah. the balance and the shared responsibility. Mm. And so as I hear you process that, where I see that translates in the church is we are undergoing that both individually and collectively in our relationships with Jesus. We will have a level of shared responsibility to fulfill 
what Jesus is asking us to do. Yeah. We will we will execute and we will lean on each other's gifts, skills, and abilities yes. to execute the 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 vision that that Jesus has called us to. Yeah. And just because you're not married in terms of uh, with another person, yeah. your relationship and function in the church can one help other marriages. Yeah. Uh, function in a healthy biblical way, but two, as that's expressed within a church, like the 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 church is the bride of Christ. Back to back to yeah. your point, which means that collectively, it doesn't m- make marriage something better or worse. It just says what we have to do is be faithful to Jesus collectively, and we will constantly. Yeah. Look at our intimacy with him. Yes. We'll con- constantly look at our boundaries with him and, and with others mm. in in a way to best express followership of him. And yeah. there's that there's that unity that's present mm. to accomplish a goal. Yes. And if I was to go back and probably revise a level of my definition of marriage, that's the one thing that I always encourage couples to do in premarital counseling is have a shared vision Mm. one that they sit down and come together and say this is together what you guys are going to accomplish so for ruth and i when when we were talking about marriage and what our marriage would look like we said we would follow god wherever whenever that is our that is our family vision and we would attempt to reproduce the character and priorities of jesus into the lives of others wherever whenever yep. which that changes the how and how and and yeah. it, it led us clear across the country to to start generations church yeah. so one of the things is i always encourage uh couples to do is to, to and specifically in premarital counseling to say what what is what is your shared joint vision that you are going to accomplish yeah. again that's transferable to the church we have people from all different backgrounds walks of life you yeah. mentioned you and hannah are different personalities. Yeah. What brings you together? Shared vision yep. and a unity around Jesus. Yeah. So that's what I would that's what I would say is how we begin to see this sort out is a desire to accomplish the vision together, yeah. which is why we can have people of different backgrounds, personalities, who process different, yes. who who deal with conflict different, yeah. who who have a different perspective on finances. Yeah. Come together and say we will be united around Jesus and go after the shared vision, which means yeah. you you will have conversations about boundaries. You will have con- conversations yeah. around uh, shared resources. You will have conversations about shared co- uh, commitments, but also uh, you will develop greater intimacy with Jesus mm. and with each other. Yeah. And so if you are someone who is single, and you are watching this, whether you aspire to be married or you have no desire to be married, know that you play a vital role within the church as a covenant committed person to the vision of the church and unity around Jesus. And honestly, you have friends that are likely married or even aspire to be married, and you can serve as a reminder to them of to not to not view marriage in light of comparing it to someone else's marriage yeah. or comparing it to a marriage that's seen on TV but say mm-hmm. guys y- your marriage needs to be compared to the way the church and Jesus function with each other yes. and the way we see Jesus function is he gives himself up 
for the church. And the church is then to submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus and to execute mm. the reproduction of character and priorities of him into the lives of individuals and the rest of the world. Yeah. And so we at Generation Church say we are a community of everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. And so that's yeah. some of the how we come together in unity around Jesus and want to faithfully multiply those character and priorities of Jesus into the lives of others. Yeah. John, I think we've slightly described some of our next question, which we wanted to get to, which was, how is marriage a picture of the gospel? But the, the marriage being a picture of the gospel isn't just found as we talk about Jesus. We see this, we see throughout scripture, a yeah. God who's committed to his creation. Yes. That doesn't start in Jesus. That that actually starts way, way before, ba yeah. way before back in the beginning. And, and it comes to fruition perfectly expressed in yes. Jesus. So, John, where might be a passage of scripture that, that if we wanted to look at together, that we might go to to, to see God's yeah. commitment to humanity? Yeah, so I almost... I'll give um, some specific scripture, but I think there's more of a storyline to be looking at. Okay. And we talk about this term covenant. Okay. Co first off, what what does that word mean? Covenant. Okay. What what do you come on? Yeah, I know, okay. I know okay. you I, your Bible background. I know. How do you define covenant? So I would say covenant is a rugged commitment to the other despite the circumstances that they find themselves in. Yeah. And it's and it's one it's an agreement. Both for, it's formal, legal, yeah. relational, and spiritual. It's a commitment that goes beyond the circumstances. Yeah. So if we were to sum that up, commitment that goes beyond circumstances that manifests itself relationally, economically, legally, yeah. and spiritually. Yeah. I, I like how you frame that up because one of the biggest emphasis that we, we want to make is that we have a relational God. Mm. And we see God who comes to us and makes covenant, uh, covenantial promises mm. to us, to his people. And we see that specifically in Abraham, okay. in Genesis. We see God goes to him, and they make this covenantial relationship. There's four things that God promises Abraham. If you are faithful and you follow along with yeah. me, you are my people. If you follow, trust in me as the one God, and yeah. you obey, he makes promises, promise of land of a great family, that he's going to bless those who bless him, he's going to curse those who curse him, that God is going to continue mm. along with them. He is going to be faithful in this promise. Yeah. And it's this double-sided relationship that we are going to come together and we are going to agree on this. And it's yeah. it's funny because God does that with Abraham, and it's he God tells Abraham that, and then Abraham's like, okay, God, I got you. And like he acts a certain way for a while. And then God, yeah. and Abraham's like, like tell, tell me, like tell me again, and God tells them a second time. But it's actually the third time in Genesis 15, yeah. verses one through 21. Go read this story. It is a fascinating uh, story. But in a nutshell, God reiterates His promise to Abraham, and then Abraham asks for a sign, and God gives Abraham a sign of His commitment. And so first, God uh, told Abraham to cut some animals in half. Afterward, he puts Abraham in a sleep and then talks to him about the future. 
And finally, God appears as a smoking fire and passes between the pieces of animals. And this is so significant because the way covenant commitments in the ancient Near East were depicted was through this ceremony that God Mm. takes Abraham through. But it's, but it's also fascinating because God doesn't ask Abraham to walk through the burning pieces. God walks through or like pictures himself walking through yeah. these pieces. And so, again, the pieces are laid out. They're laid out in an aisle. And it's like the, the picture is, may I be cut into pieces like these animals if I don't keep my promises as I've stated in the agreement, which mm. is which is the covenant. Yeah. And normally there were commitments made on both sides. But in Genesis 15, when you read that, God walks through the pieces that basically says, I will keep, I, I will be cut to pieces if neither one of us keep the obligation. Mm. God's not asking Abraham to be cut to pieces if Abraham doesn't be, keep the obligation, which we know Abraham doesn't, yeah. yes. uh, the picture of humanity is we don't keep our obligations and our commitments to God. But God says, regardless of of your commitment to me, I will be cut to pieces because of my commitment to you. Yeah. And God also says, I will be cut to pieces if I don't keep my commitment to you. And we know yeah. God throughout the Bible He always fulfills his promises. There's never a promise that goes unfulfilled. And how this manifests itself is as we break the contracts and we see that God doesn't, God is cut to pieces for us in Jesus, for those who don't keep their obligations and commitment to God. And I think that's just so powerful for us, as we even think of our relationship with God, and as we think of marriage being this picture of God's relationship ultimately with yeah. us, yes. John, anything to add in um, that as you as you process yeah what that story? Well, I even think one of the interesting things is that this covenant is what shapes and defines the rest of the Old Testament. We see mm. a story of God's people struggling to keep up like their agreement and yet a God who is still faithful in pursuing them, keeping his promises. You see us get to Moses and we see the promise of a large family of generations of people. We see that fulfilled. You get later on uh, to the David, to him becoming king. Like they have the promised land. They, the family, the people the, of Israel, God's people have the location. And we see God continue mm. to bless them over this time, but it, it isn't until we get to Jesus that we see it fully encompassed, fully fulfilled in who Jesus is mm. in that relationship. And it's so interesting that God continually just reminds his people. He says, remember back to the covenant. Remember back to the covenant. Yeah. And it's not necessarily for them of like, oh, I have to act a certain way, but for them to remember that God, he is telling them, I will be faithful. You are my people. I have chosen you. I will pursue you. I love you. I've willingly chose to enter into this relationship, even though you have distanced yourself from me, even though you walk away from me, you disobey me. I do not stop pursuing and I will be faithful. And that's where I think it's important for us to understand 
when Paul frames up marriage, yeah. it's coming towards the end of the letter of the Colossians. He has gone at length to make sure that God's love, his grace, the mystery of Christ has been made known to the Colossian believers. Yes. And then they are, they are to say, yes, I want to enter into an agreement to make Jesus the substance by which I reorient my life around, yes. pictured in Colossians 2 and baptism. And then Paul says, okay, here's what that means in response to that agreement. Yeah. And here's how it plays out in different aspects of your life. So marriage in a spiritual sense, is supposed to point the watching world back to the love and commitment that we have to yes. God and God has for us. Yep. And when we begin to frame up marriage in that way, we begin to have a different picture of it. We begin to mm. talk uh, differently about it. Yeah. So, John, how has marriage, one, changed in our culture, and how— May, how do we talk about marriage sometimes that actually isn't a helpful reference to that picture? Yeah, I think one of the things that we see in, especially in our culture, is that there's almost this difference between a worldly marriage and a Christian marriage. Okay. In the world, like, we see a marriage that is two people who uh, who claim to, like, w they love each other, that mm. they want to that they want to get married more or less because they want to, like, Sometimes it's they want to live together. Sometimes they're already living together. Sometimes it's more or less around the it's just what we do. We get married. Yeah. We love someone in a Christian marriage. When uh, a husband and wife come together, they are willingly and intentionally choosing to love yeah. each other and to set up this covenantal relationship where they together are going to uh, be this image, uh, this reflection of the love of God hmm. to his people. And I think one of the, Man, I think one of the biggest things that we see in that, in understanding in a relationship, is one that there is no perfect relationship, mm. no perfect marriage. That there is this intentionality of why Paul uh, reinforces, why Jesus reinforces forgiveness and grace, because in our relationships we have to be willing yeah. um, before we even go to God. Like it, we are reminded that when we go to God, like and ask for forgiveness, we have to forgive those before us. Yeah. That even includes our spouse. Yes. Uh, that includes the people in our life. Like there is forgiveness that's going to be had because we are still sinful and broken people. And yet how we react to brokenness, mm. to sin, to um, sometimes destructive behavior in the midst of sin yeah. is, will be a reflection of who God is, that mm. we can show his love his grace, his forgiveness. It doesn't mean that we're going to let ourselves get taken advantage of. And there are, like, I loved how you framed up this week. Okay. Um, special uh, circumstances that even in scripture, like it talks about, like, if there are certain moments, like, yes, like a divorce certificate, like can be followed yes. through. Beca like, because we're, we're not God. We're never, we're not to put that. We're not to put a human in the, in the place that, that is only reserved for God. Yeah. And that's on this side of eternity. Yeah. We've we've got to rightly understand that and do our best to point to point back to who Jesus is yeah. and what he has done for yeah. us. I even think in one of the things that um, we can see in our culture and when people talk about marriage and sometimes um, it can be in a very playful and a joking way. But when we talk about the old ball and chain derogatory, that, yeah, stuff like that, sometimes it in how we talk about that. The way, like, if we are to be reflecting the love of God, yeah. like, if we are saying, like, oh, we got the old ball and chain at home who 
you know, yes. tells us what to do. Um, man, like that sometimes can reflect. If we're saying our marriage is to be a reflection of God, yeah, are we saying that about God? Like, oh, God, big old ball and chain, got to do what God tells me to do, kind of thing. No, it's it's it's, a, it's guilt. It's yeah. shame. It's shame driven. It's yes. fear driven, rather than motivated by love. Sorry, yeah. not to, no, not no, not not, not to cut, cut exactly you off right. there. Where I was going, like, it it isn't like. Oh, I have to be home at this certain time. Oh, I have to set aside this night of the week. Yeah. No, I intentionally need to do that because I love, I love my wife, and I want that relationship to grow and flourish and to basically reflect that love that God shows us and that he calls us to. There's a will involved, and you are in some ways trying to align your will to, to, to basically per- – express love in a healthy way and so again i think sometimes our wills are contrary to what what we know uh is either right or what we see in god's word and and our our wills bump up against that and we say okay god i need i need you to help me not view the responsibilities and rights that come out of a marriage relationship in a in a guilt dutiful drudgery type of way But in a way that says, no, I willingly do this, and it brings me great joy. It brings me satisfaction because that's our relationship with Jesus is not supposed to be one filled with drudgery, but it's supposed to be one filled with delight. Yes. And that delight, that will, that changes how we communicate about the marriage. So to your point, the way in which we just speak about the institution of marriage and the relationship of marriage is vitally important and we've got to change our language so that it reflects well on marriage so that one it changes it helps change our heart and how we feel about it but it but it helps the watching world rightly understand that that we don't view marriage as as something that is just culturally acceptable or culturally ought or should but is one that we willingly enter into because it it's the picture of jesus and his church and it also changes how we speak about our spouse. Mm. I think that's a piece that can often overlook is as we speak about our spouse, is it, are they someone who is, we, we in conversations where they're not around, we, we put them down yeah. or is, or even in, in front of other people, do we speak about them in a negative way mm. that again, maybe there is conflict. Well, let's not pretend like there's not going to be conflict yeah. or there's not, or there's not going to issues. You, you stressed already, like no marriage yeah. is perfect, yes. but the way in which we handle that must be indicative of our growing relationship with Jesus. And so as we look to Christian marriages, the way you speak about your spouse are the, you know, is it someone who's high up on a pedal stool? Is it someone who you just want to keep your, you know, your foot on? Yeah. Is it is it someone that you see as a true partner yes. in fulfilling the vision that God has called you to? Yeah. And so so there's true equity and care and partnership. There's mm. true agreement there. Yeah. That that is when it becomes powerful, not as even I, I tried to stress this weekend as we look at marriages, sometimes it can be viewed in a very hierarchical way. Yeah. But but when you talk about submission and love, it's truly a partnership with each other and with God that expresses itself in both just as Jesus is, is the head of the church. Yeah. There, there is a, there's a, 
responsibility that, that the husband has uh, to provide a, a level of care and covering and the responsibility that the husband bears. But that doesn't mean in lordship. That yeah. doesn't mean um, in a way, it doesn't express itself in ways that are contrary to, again, God's design. Jesus, yeah. we see, gives his life up for the church. Husbands, that is the same way in which we must live, which means, again, just to stress, guys, when you talk about your wife or you talk and you're hanging out with your buddies, when your wife asks you mm -hmm. to do something, think about the tone and the demeanor by which you communicate that with, with your friends. Yes, you may not initially be like, oh, man, this is what I delight or want yeah. to do. But, but, but that's where it's you've got to revisit your relationship with Jesus. Okay, Jesus, help me see this is not something that I am just purely supposed to do, yeah. but help align my will and make it into something that I want to do for the good of my wife, yeah. for the good of your mission and your vision within the world. Yeah, I even think one of the biggest things within a marriage that me and Hannah have had to learn is how we express love differently. Mm. Um, and I think this is very even apparent in how we uh, respond in the church. Like me and Hannah, we are very different. Uh, we come from different backgrounds. Mm. I come, like when you talk about that, like it, it resonates with me. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. I grew up in a city life. She grew up in London, Kentucky, which is not like uh, London, England or anything like that. It is like middle of like mm. kind of like a not that big of a town like it's a it's a small town yeah. she lived 30 minutes from the closest like walmart yeah. she was off a of gravel road it's her and her grandma on acres of land like we come from yeah. very different areas very different households how our families function how they live how they act yeah. today even and that resonates in who we are as people and so uh hannah uh we oh, one of the things that I think is very good and like a helpful resource is the five love languages. Mm. It helps understand like how do we express love? Because the funny thing is, is mine and her list are the exact yeah. opposite. I express and enjoy love to be expressed to me through acts of service. Mm. And that's who I am. I am very much a go getter, do what needs to get done kind of thing where her, she is a words of affirmation. Mm. through conversation and interaction with people. That's how she loves on people and cares for them. But that's how she loves to be cared yeah. for. For me, words of affirmation is my very last thing. Yeah. It is not natural to me. It is not the easiest thing for me to come home and to tell her things. Rather, the way yeah. in which I show love is like, okay, I'll do the laundry for you. I'll do the dishes. Mm. I'll clean and organize the household. Yeah. I'll even cook you dinner. Like I will do these things. I will do these acts of service that I think is showing her how much I love and care for mm. her because I like in my heart, I'm doing that. But to her, it's like, Oh, like, that's nice. I love that. But I need like, like affirm to me that you love, like tell me yeah. that physically. And it's like, man, like for me, <laughs> that, that that's not natural and easy. Mm. And it's something that I've even had to one identify in myself and intentionally mm. work and grow in that. And I think we even yeah. see that in the church that there are areas yeah. in which we are really like apt to and easy to like, Maybe service is your thing. Maybe prayer is your thing. Maybe, um, mm. like, there are certain aspects, like, maybe you're really, like, in tune to, like, studying and doing stuff for your personal self. But maybe, like, you're, like, at friction and, like, uh, like maybe it's uncomfortable for you to go out and speak to people and love and care for them or pray over somebody. Or maybe, mm. like, 
uh, hopping up and being the first person to say like, yeah, I'll do that, mm. uh, help out at that event, volunteer, or I'll even just pick up the trash on the floor. Like maybe that's, you're not apt to that, but understanding that a full love of Jesus mm. encompasses our all aspects of our life, even the things that make us uncomfortable. We're all called to love with our words, our actions, with all of our being. Mm. We are to love Jesus and reflect the love of God because he displays all of that for us through his words, through his actions. Jesus fully encompasses that. And so we are to reproduce that in our life. And so even for us, like to do things that we are uncomfortable to do, and it's not out of, man, like I have to do this because Jesus calls me to. No, it's I willingly choose to do this because Jesus first loved me this way and I want to do that for others. And you don't have to be married to function in that way. What I love about Ephesians chapter 4 is it says in verse 11, so Christ gave himself, gave the apostle, I butchered that. (laughs) So so I'm I'm reading. So, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You have a unique role to play in helping others, bringing your personality, your skill sets, your background into the relationship of the church so that the church can be the best bride of Jesus and the representative of Christ Mm. within the world. Because at the end of the day, John, as you talk about love languages and in a marriage, in a relationship, God's love language is obedience. Mm. God wants obedience and he doesn't do it in a guilt or shame or fear driven way. God does it by first loving us by laying down his life for us Mm. and invites us to respond to his will, to his way, to the path that he has laid out by obedience. And so if you are someone who is struggling in a relationship right now, know that we want to connect with you. We want to, we want to hear your story. We want to help you navigate that because we, we, we think, Marriages can be the picture of Jesus within the world. And so we want to help your marriage uh, succeed. And so send us a message if this is something that you and your spouse are struggling through. We seriously mean that. We love to walk through those challenges with you. If you are someone who is is singled or feel, feel alone or isolated right now, bring your gifts out in the church. You help us. We are better together. And may we be obedient followers of Jesus together because of Jesus for generations to come. Thanks for joining us on today's midweek podcast. Be sure to like, share these videos, and comment and interact with us. Shoot us a message if you have questions. And be sure to share this so we can continue to share the message of Jesus with others. Because we want your faith to be an everyday faith.